Hey, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome everybody that's online with us, and most of all, I want to welcome you all here that are on the Stafford campus. Now, i got to be honest with you, this is the third service of the day. First two services have been a little sluggish. I don't think it's me. It could be, all right? So here we go. Everybody wake up. You guys, come on. Come on. There we go. There we go. All right. I've had three cups of coffee and nothing to eat. Let's go. It could be, who knows, all right? Yeah. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. It is the fourth gospel in your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 15. Y'all know this. Many of you are going to be very familiar with this. We're going to talk about the vine and the branches. Um, But I want to just kind of remind you and kind of set the stage for this. We are in week three of our series about unhurried lives uh, and what it looks like. And last week, I thought Pastor Adam did a great job of talking about how hurry and busyness robs us of the ability, the capacity to love others. Now, I got to be honest with you. I never really put those two together or at least verbalize that. I think I knew it in my heart. But man, what a great message that is. And I want to talk, to a, I want to talk this, this week, today specifically, about how busyness really robs us of the very thing that we need the most, and that's God. And that's God. All right? In Ephesians chapter 5, this has been the passage the pastor's been going to, and I want us to examine this again. And, he, and Paul reminds us to pay careful attention then to how we walk. And again, Pastor did such a great job of, of parsing this apart and this whole idea about our walk, about what we do, how we live our lives. And then the requirement is to not be unwise uh, people, but as wise people. The way we walk is with wisdom. And I will tell you, it's not going to be our wisdom. It's going to be God's wisdom. All right, and we need to make the most of the time because these days are evil. And if you don't believe that, just spend five minutes watching any news segment. All right, we see that this world is in decay. All right, we need to, as Christ followers, we need to be people who are walking, following Jesus, and walking in his wisdom, not our own. Busyness and this whole idea of hurry permeates everything we do. When I first moved here in 2002, I had a dear friend of mine said, welcome to Northern Virginia, the vortex of busyness. And I had no idea what he meant. And no kidding, this place, it does just kind of suck you in. Within two weeks of being here, I had to do a hospital visit up in uh, uh, Nova Fairfax Hospital. I went to Quantico, had lunch with one of our members there, And then I left about 1 o'clock, went to the hospital, spent about 30 minutes at the hospital, came back home. I got home at 7 p.m., and I sat in traffic, and I said, oh, my lands, what have I done by moving to this place? It should not have taken me almost five hours to get home from uh, exit 54 off of 495. Now, this was when they were building the... It's still a nightmare, the mixing bowl, all right? But it's better. It's better than what it was, okay? Corey Ten Boom, uh, some of you are familiar with her. She's a Holocaust survivor, prolific writer, uh, Christian writer, very good. She talked about the busyness 
Uh, she goes, I love this quote. She goes, if the devil cannot make us make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil cannot make you sin, he'll make you busy. Carl Jung, uh, very famous and very influential uh, psychologist, said this about busyness, that hurry and, and hurry. Hurry is not of the devil, but hurry is the devil. And that is so true in a world that, especially now, where we want everything 10 seconds ago, all right, we spend this time in a constant state of hurry, in a constant state of busyness. Um, not too long ago, I think it was about three or four years ago, actually it was longer than that, it was probably about five or six years ago, I went out to San Diego for a short seminar about counseling and pastoral counseling and things like that. And our host was a guy by the name of Mike Foster. And Mike is a, he's an author, he's a podcaster, he's got a really great, it was only three seasons, Fun Therapy. It is a great uh, podcast. And he just, he just boils things down to a very, very realistic, relatable level. Uh, I really, really liked him. And in the course of the three days I, I spent with him, there was about 25, 30 of us that we're in this seminar, and the second night, he invited all, his, all of us over to his house. And Mike and I were sitting on his back porch, and we were just talking, and he asked me a very profound question that I kind of joked about at first, but then I couldn't answer it. He goes, John, what do you do to rest? And I'm like, well, I don't. And I was kind of like, no kidding, that was my knee-jerk joking reaction, and then I tried to answer the question, and I could not come up with a response. As I was preparing for this lesson, I came across uh, an article about uh, busyness and about hurry, and amongst professionals, and one of the things that, that prevents people this constant state of busyness uh, and how we live in that, uh, amongst professionals, the most busiest person that doesn't take time, profession that does not take time to rest and relax. You ready for this? Pastors. It's number one. If 58% of pastors struggle with the ability to slow down, not be busy, not be hurried, and intentionally take moments of rest. The irony of ironies is that I stand before you today with this subject to talk about how we stay connected with God because in so many facets of my life, I find my identity and my uh, desire is to always keep going. See, it's an enlarged, it's, a, it's an unhealthy maybe mentality of self-importance. And I know I'm not the only one. It's one of the things that we think about that I need to keep on going because if I keep on going, if I keep on helping them, if I keep on doing, then I am bringing value to everybody I come in contact with. But the problem, though I may bring value for a time, eventually, if I, do, if I try to continually do it in my strength and power, I will flame out. We will flame out. You will flame out. I read a book. Uh, the Relentless Pursuit of Eliminating Hurry. Great book by the name, uh, the author is John, uh, John Mark Comer. 
anything that you can read by John Mark Comer, not only is it very, very, uh, is it an easy read, it is a practical read, and it is just nugget after nugget after nugget of truth and wisdom. It really is. And the, the, the funny part about this is I was telling my friend, hey, listen, I just read this book uh, yesterday. I mean, I read it in like a day and a half. The Relentless Pursuit of Eliminating Hurry. I read in like a day and a half. And I told my friend, oh, dude, I blew through that book. It was so good. You got to read it and all that. And he goes, did you just hear what you said? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You told me that you just blew through reading a book about not being hurried. And I'm like, oh, but in this, John Mark says this. He has this great uh, quote. He says, both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off our connection with God to other people and even to our own souls. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that resonates with me. That totally and absolutely resonates with me. And so as we're about ready to dive into John 15, I want to kind of set the stage here, all right? Jesus knew that busyness and hurried life was going to be an issue. The, the night that Jesus is betrayed, he is doing the final placement of all of his teaching. In John 13, he's going to show him the full extent of his love. He gets up and he washes the feet of the disciple, showing that what real love is, is a matter of serving others in a very, very profound way. And, and most of us are familiar with this. Jesus even got up and washed the feet of the man who would go and betray him in just a matter of moments. But it was out of love that Jesus did this, and, he, and the creator came and served the created and demonstrated what love in action really looks like. He has told his disciples three times prior to this final meeting that, hey, listen, I'm going away. I am going to be killed. I'm going to be executed. I will be buried, and I will be gone, but I will not leave you. And the disciples never heard what he was saying until this last time at this moment. They knew something dramatic was about to change. But before he told them this one more time, I'm leaving, he goes, listen, I need to set the stage for you. And I need to let you know this is an important lesson and you must hold on to it. Because hurry and busyness will always be with you. It will always be a temptation. It will just be part of life because the rea reality is that you will have doubts in your life. You will be busy and life will be hard. For most of us, there will be spouses and children. There'll be parents and in-laws. There'll be work and school. There will always be another appointment or another meeting. There will always be some sporting event or some band event or some dance event. There will always be traffic if you live in the Northern Virginia area. You know, a statistic uh, from 2003 that the average person here in Northern Virginia, and this is pre-COVID, on average spent 22 hours of their life commuting from Stafford up north. 22 hours of their life every week in traffic. That's impressive. Is that what I heard? It's depressing. And maybe that's what you said. Yeah. We almost, 
many, many of us have lost a day, a week of our life sitting in traffic. That's frightening to me. And in the midst of that, it's easy to become frustrated. It's easy to become unplugged. And so Jesus reminds us, hey, listen, I'm going to set the stage for you. So 2,000 years ago, and tell me that these words do not resonate true for us now. Many of you are going to be familiar with this. This is the idea about the vine and the branch. And so I just want to read the first 11 verses of this. All right, John 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Understand this. Any fruit that we bear is for the Father's glory. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. You guys getting the point here? All right. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's 11 verses. In 11 verses, Jesus uses the word remain. Some of you may have abide in your translation. But the idea is all the same. It is living in and staying connected to the source of our power, our strength, our growth, all of it. Six times in 11 verses, Jesus talks about the reason why you stay in the vine is so that you may bear fruit. It's all about bearing fruit. Now, I will tell you, we can bear fruit. But is it lasting fruit or is it spoiled fruit? I love this passage and the importance of what it is that we constantly stay within the vine. There are two things I want you guys to pick out of this. In verse 3, and maybe this isn't profound to you, but it is kind of me. I always really thought about this, that this was kind of like a heaven and hell thing. But verse 3, as I was reading this, he says, listen, you're already clean. You are already clean. The people that Jesus is speaking to are the 11 disciples that are around him, the core group. He says, listen, y'all are clean. So this isn't a matter of heaven and hell, but it is a matter of what kind of life you will live. And remember, it's going to be busy. It's going to be hard. There's going to be distractions. The tyranny of the urgency can rip us apart from what is most important. But understand this, you're clean. The second part of this is he says this in verses 5 and 6. And again, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, I will tell you, when we hear these concepts, this idea of something being thrown away and burned, we cannot help but think of the fires of hell. But I think if we put it into context, it is, again, what kind of fruit are you going to produce? In our hurriedness, in our busyness, we can produce fruit that won't last, and it will be our own fruit. Our own fruit has no eternal value. Think about that. When I'm all in it for me and I'm looking to bring glory to myself, the fruit that I may bear to others has no eternal glory. It is to make me, it is to make you, it is to make us look good. If I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, the fruit that I want to bear is going to be lasting fruit, that is going to be kingdom fruit, that brings honor and glory to God. Am I, in my pursuit, am I bringing value to the kingdom, or am I trying to build up, are we trying to build up, are you trying to build up your own personal value? Again, it's a tricky place. Some of us enjoy the applause of men. I will do and do and do and do because I want the attaboy. And I will tell you this, we will keep on doing until we can no longer do and we burn out, we flame out. And, it's, and guess what? You will be the last person to know that you're flaming out. And you know how you'll find out if you're doing everything under your power? Simple little things, your friends, the people that love you, that know you. Hey, you okay? I'm great. Why would you ask? Well, you look like, well, you look awful. You look tired. You're grumpy. Yeah, you seem unmotivated. And our response is, I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. Trying to tell you. Yeah, all right? Or maybe that's just the conversation my wife and I have. All right? I don't know. What do you do to rest? Can you answer that? And don't tell me sitting in front of the TV set. Don't tell me sitting there, you know, watching an eye guzz on something. Don't tell me that you're sitting there watching some football game because I guarantee you if you're like me, your football teams are awful. <laughs> it's not even fun to watch anymore. Gosh, I'm just grateful I'm not an Ohio State fan. Sorry, oh. I can say that because Pastor Caleb is not online with us right now, okay? Yeah. I am a Commanders fan, though. They apparently didn't even get off the plane Thursday. But anyways, I digress, okay? There's one thing that I learned this week that I really, for me, was very profound because I'm not a farmer. I don't claim to be a farmer. I don't claim to be any type of gardener or anything like that. You can look at my shrubs and you can say, yeah, he's got no clue what he's doing. Yeah, all right. 
but I, I find this really, really fascinating in, uh, in this. And what I learned about was about grapevines. Because Jesus, when he's talking about the vine, he's not talking about just a vine. All right? He's talking about grapevines. All right? And there's something really fascinating that grapevines, yes, they can grow along the ground, but at some point they will simply kind of stop growing. They'll only go so far and they'll stop. Uh, they often become diseased. Uh, they get eaten by insects and things like that, and they just stop existing. All right? And so somewhere along the line in the agrarian society that was Palestine at the time, uh, which was Israel at the time, uh, is they began building trellises, and they build these things up. Now, if you guys have ever been to any of our wineries around here, uh, anything like that, you will see rows and rows and rows and rows and rows and rows and rows of these trellises and these grapevines that are growing on them. And I thought, how cool is that? Just a little side note, and you guys have probably heard me say this before. This is really a side note, all right? If you're planning on getting married and you want to use a winery, please go ahead and do that, but just don't plan on doing it in July. It's hot, okay? Yeah. But what's so beautiful about these, these trellises, it lifts the plant, it lifts the vine up off the ground. When the vine is up off the ground, it is able to spread out more. And as it spreads out more, it gets more sunlight. And from fourth grade science, we know that sunlight is important for what to happen with plants? Photosynthesis. There we go. Some of y'all were thinking, I wasn't hoping we were doing science today. Okay, yeah. But photosynthesis then creates a plant that is healthy, that is vibrant, that is growing, that is prosperous. And as that gets more light and more photosynthesis happens and the plant gets healthier, it begins to sprout more and more fruit. But it needs to be up off the ground and it needs to have structure. Now, I will tell you this. I believe that Jesus not only is the vine, but he is the structure for us that allows us to grow more and more and more. Think about this. He picks us up out of the dirt he lifts us up so we can spread out, which we are able to then receive more light, which makes us be able to grow. And as we grow, we are able to produce fruit, kingdom fruit. We need Jesus as our trellis. We need Jesus as our structure to grow on and to lean on and to lean into so that we can bear not just some fruit, but great fruit. I believe that the goal of remaining in Jesus is just that, to produce kingdom fruit, fruit that will last. And you're ready for the real cool part of this? Verse 11, Jesus tells this whole thing about staying within the vine, about growing, about allowing the light to pierce us so that we can bear fruit. And the goal of bearing fruit, I've told you this so that your joy, so that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
The very thing that I believe most of us are looking for in this life is a sense of joy. Years and years ago, when I first came to faith, I sat down with a gentleman that was a mentor of mine. His name was Mike Ferris. He has since passed away. Wonderful man. We're sitting like a Bob's big boy, and he introduced me, first of all, to um, uh, coconut cream pie. I've never had a coconut piece of coconut cream pie before. Oh, my gosh. What have I been missing out on? All right. Does nobody like coconut cream pie here? Come on. I should have. That was worthy of an amen. Come on. Yeah. All right. So I'm having this thing, and we're talking, and only as Mike can, because there's so many nuggets of wisdom that he used to just, like, hit me in the side of the face, like, with a fish. You know, are you listening? Okay, all right, all right. I'm sitting there, and he goes, John, you're doing such great things, all right? He goes, where's your joy? I said, what? He said, where's your joy? I said, I ain't got time for joy. I got to do. And he said, no, 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 John. The idea, the concept here is that we do out of an overflow, and we find joy in doing that. See, I put the cart way before the horse. And this is where grace comes into play for us, that sometimes grace is so easy, we make it hard. Grace is too easy. <coughs> Excuse me. I have to do something to earn it. And Jesus says that's not true. And so our joy is not in the matter of just doing. The joy is being in Christ and doing things out of the overflow of what Christ has done for us. The joy is the overflow of doing what has been done for us. We get to share with others. It's easy to go through the motion and check the boxes. In a hurried world, in a busy world, I can say, yep, I've read my scripture. Oh, okay, I listened to a worship song on the way into work. Okay, I, I've done some prayers. I was driving down the road. I cursed at somebody because they cut me off and I asked God for forgiveness. So that consists of my prayer life today. No! I want to be in the vine so that I produce kingdom fruit. Let me ask you this. In your hurriedness and in your busyness, where's your joy? In your hurriedness and in your busyness, where is your joy? Have you lost joy in your spouse? Have you lost joy in your children? Have you lost joy in worshiping God? Have you lost joy in work? I understand work can be a grind. But are you able to see the blessing that is there? Are you able to see that the people that work right next to you, that you're able to produce fruit to engage in them, that you can pour into them and there's no regrets when we do that. And when there's no regrets, there's joy. See, the outpouring of remaining in Jesus and staying connected to the source of everything is the very thing that we're looking for, the serendipity, the unexpected joy. And the unexpected joy is just that. It's joy. As Mike said, John, where is your joy? And I told him, I ain't got time for that. 
I would have flamed out years ago if Mike didn't love me enough to call me on the carpet with that. Where is your joy? I want to leave you with four very practical steps here. I want to leave you with four really practical steps. If you've taken the Next Step class, you've heard these before because I wrote the Next Step class, or at least this part of it. I don't know if they use it anymore. I taught it for a number of years. I've talked to you about this before. But this is, this is stuff that I hear often from people. How do I connect with God? How do I begin to have a personal time? How do I get connected to the vine and remain in the vine? And so I want to give you four practical steps. I've, asked, I've added two. It used to be three. The first practical step. You ready for this? Pick a time. Pick a time where you are going to intentionally spend time with Jesus. And I will tell you this. This picking a time is so important that you need to put a hedge of protection around it. If it requires you to get up an extra 15 minutes, get up an extra 15 minutes. If you're finding that the joy has lost your, is, is no longer in your life, or you're struggling, or people asking, you doing okay because you don't look too good. Maybe you're on the verge of flaming out. Maybe you have lost your first love. Pick a time put a hedge of protection around it, and that is your time with God. I will tell you five days a week, four days, five days a week. Allow yourself for those days where, for whatever reason, you can't get to it. But between four and five days a week, I'm going to hanker around, and that is my time. Second of all, create a place or pick a place. It's your place. A number of years ago, we came out, there was that movie that came out, The Prayer Closet. Many of you all looked at that. Many of you all watched that. Many of you all went out and bought the books. Many of you all went and cleaned out a portion of your closet and created that to be your prayer uh, place and all that. Create a place. It doesn't have to be elaborate, but it does need to be some place where you can go for whatever that time is that you've picked, and it's just you and God. You can read. It's got good lighting. You can put your AirPods in. You can worship. Uh, it may be out in the garage, guys, and you're sitting on a five-gallon bucket, and you're singing to the, you know, you got your AirPods in, not carrying a tune in that bucket by any chance, but you're screaming out, and you're worshiping God. It's a place where your Bible stays. It's a place where maybe some other books that you may be reading are there, but it's your place. My place was a chair upstairs in the master bedroom, and we had that thing for years, and I think it's safe to say that my family saw me transform in that chair. I've talked to you about it before. The purple chair that my wife got rid of. <laughs> and replace it with a white chair, and I'm afraid to sit in it now because I'll get it dirty. Yeah. It needed to go. <laughs> I don't think it did. <laughs> but that was my place. That was my place. And no kidding, I think my family could say, we saw, we saw Dad transform in that. That's where I read Scripture, and that's where I prayed, and that's where I wrote. I can't tell you how many sermons I wrote in that. I can't tell you how much studying I did in that. I can't tell you how many naps I took in that thing. 
But that was my place. And I have that place. I have that place. But you need to have that place. Third thing is have a plan. So many of us do this. We throw open our Bibles and we do this. And we end up reading something out of Leviticus about mold. And we're thinking, okay, I guess God wanted me to learn about mold today. You know what? If you're new to reading scripture, there are countless reading plans out there. But I will tell you this, and I think it's so important that you do this. Make sure that the first thing that you do is that you are reading scripture. Not what somebody else wrote about scripture, but I want you to read scripture. And begin to process it for yourself and ask God, ask the Spirit to fill you. Tell me what I'm reading here. And listen, there are going to be times when you're going to read and you're going to have zero clue what you're reading. That's okay. Some days what we have to do is we just have to eat the Word. We just have to take it in. Some of you, part of your plan would be memorizing Scripture. Now, I will tell you, and I said this in the first, um, uh, the very first uh, service today. I'm not good at memorizing scripture. Uh, good night. I cannot memorize the announcements when I do announcements. And so God love them. What they do, they just give me bullet points. And they said, make sure you cover this, this, and this, because they know I'm going to make it up anyway. So, um, but for me to memorize scripture is very difficult. And right after the first service, God love her. I had a lady come up and she goes, this is a God thing. And she hands me a book of a hundred verses and how to memorize scripture. And I'm like, oh no, I'm so bad at memorizing scripture. But April, I told you I will try, I will try, okay? Um, maybe part of your plan is to memorize scripture. Maybe it's, you know what, I'm just going to read an Old Testament book, and when I get done with that, I'm going to go to a New Testament book. If any of y'all are struggling, I mean really struggling, a great book to start in, a great plan is at least for the next 30 days, I'm going to read five psalms a day. In the course of, a, of 30 days, you will have read the entire book of psalms. And what's really amazing is when you begin to read the psalms, and some of them you'll understand, some of them you'll have no idea, but I promise you that your prayer life will become those psalms because that's what they are, they're prayers. But we've got to eat the word sometimes. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us that God's word is living and active and it cuts like a two-edged sword through bone and marrow and joint and ligament. In other words, it cuts through all of the stuff and it hits us right here. And what's amazing, the more I pour into the more I am intentional in this, I'm amazed at how in sitting with somebody else, a scripture verse will come to mind that I know I haven't read in a long time. That verse will come to my mind. I may not be able to quote it directly because we've already covered that. I'm not good at memorizing it, but I've got the idea of it and I know where it is. It's on the left page in this book, and it's highlighted in green. And the last one, you ready for this? God tells us in Genesis 2, it's not good for us to be alone. And so he then fashioned woman out of Adam. 
Jesus, knowing that it's not good to be alone, sent out the disciples in pairs. Sent them out in teams because he knew that we need a partner. Pick a partner. I got this one just the other day in listening to my wife. She's on the Bible app, and one of the things she does before she goes to bed at night is she'll read the verse of the day, and there's a, normally a thought that goes with it. And then she'll post something. But there's a number of ladies that are on that thread. And they banter back and forth about what that passage was. I will tell you that three years ago, one of the most rewarding times of reading Scripture was when I did it with two other men. The three of us, five days a week, chronologically went through the entire Bible. We had a very specific plan. We didn't read every single verse of the Bible, but we took large swaths of it so that we understood the vast majority of what was going on. There were a few questions that you would answer after you read that. It took about 30 minutes. And what was great was then we would then text out, read, and this is what I got out of it. Now, there were some times where I did not respond to the text messages because I was ghosting them because I didn't do my part. And one or both of those guys would come back, dude, get back on the horse. Roger that. But there were times when either one of those guys didn't do the reading. And I got to pour into them. Dude, get back on the horse. See, there's greatness in having a partner. A person or a number of people that will hold us accountable. See, in our hurriness and our busyness, it's easy for us to miss the most important aspect of our life. And that is God himself. Do not, cannot, not built to go through this life unattached and without structure of the vine that is Jesus Christ. Father God, I come to you and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are mindful of us. I thank you that you have given us your word that allows us to enter into relationship with you, that fills our cup, that gives us strength. But it's not just your word, it's your spirit that lives within us. It is your son, God, that demonstrated what it is to be attached to the vine and to have structure in our life. God, may we never lose that. In the midst of everything, Jesus knew about busy. He was the busiest person on the face of the earth, but yet time and time again, he went off to the quiet places. He set a time. He had a plan. He had a place. And he had partners. And he entered into those quiet moments with you and remained in you. And the fruit that he bore is ever 
lasting and we are part of that fruit. God, may we not lose focus and think it's all about us because the fruit that we bear is for your kingdom and for your glory, not for us. And when those get twisted, as only you can, Lord, with a gentle hand, prompt us back. Or if it needs to be a kick, let it be that. May we hear the words of others that you use to get us back in line. May we be convicted in our heart by your spirit when we've allowed hurriness and busy and our walk is along the path of ignorance instead of wisdom. God, hear our prayer because we need you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.